Hello, and welcome to the Urology COVID Lecture Series podcast brought to you by the UCSF Department of Urology. In today's episode, we have Dr. Vanita Sima Chiang from Mount Sinai talking about professionalism and implicit bias. I want to thank Dr. Hampson for inviting me to join the Urology COVID Lecture Series today. I gave this talk to the Society of Academic Urologists in January, so some of you may have seen or heard of these slides already, but I've tailored it to urology residents, so hopefully many of you will find this relevant and beneficial for you. No financial disclosures. We're going to start off with discussing a case study from last year. Then we will review the definition of professionalism, definitions of implicit bias, and then end with implications of implicit bias in urology residency. Although I know all of us want to forget last year, 2020, there was one case study in vascular surgery that I wanted to present to introduce the topics of professionalism and implicit bias. The study was published and subsequently retracted. So what happened? In brief, the journal Vascular Surgery published the study entitled Prevalence of Unprofessional Social Media Content Among Young Vascular Surgeons, which stemmed from an abstract at their annual meeting in 2019. The purpose was to evaluate the, quote, unprofessional social media uh, content on vascular surgery residents' public accounts, which were Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There was a similar study from Dartmouth by Dr. Ku et al. from 1997, which was the urology equivalent. However, there were some notable differences. The vascular study, they deemed potentially unprofessional behavior, which included pictures in underwear, provocative Halloween costumes, provocative posing in swimwear. In this highly subjective study, they observed that the vascular surgery trainees who had photos that were deemed provocative and unprofessional were applied more to women than men. In contrast, the urology study did not report any gender differences in their study. Within hours of publication, the study of the authors and the predominantly male editorial leadership of the journal were subjects of criticism and outrage via Twitter. In the retraction notice, the editors noted multiple problems regarding the methodology, analysis, and conclusions of the study. In hindsight and review, the editors took responsibility, specifically pointed out that there were issues of unconscious bias or implicit bias, and the highly subjective assessment of professionalism, which are both topics of today's presentation. What happened to our colleagues a couple months ago illustrates how, the, number one, the definition of professionalism is subjective, and number two, how implicit bias is pervasive at every level. Before I move on, this is the Swiss cheese model for our current times COVID, which is based on the Swiss cheese model of accident causation. In the vascular surgery example, implicit bias was able to move through the layers that were supposed to be protective measures. The authors, the members of the IRB, the peer reviewers of the journal article, and the editors can be conceptualized as the different layers that was supposed to protect the vascular surgery trainees' privacy, 
and the professionalism of vascular surgery. As my talk will demonstrate, we all have implicit bias, and this bias has the potential to negatively impact our urology residents. So what is the definition of professionalism? How can we, as academic urologists, explain professionalism to our residents? How do our residents learn professionalism? How can we mitigate unprofessional behavior? In my search for PubMed for the definition of professionalism, I came across this 2020 article by Dr. Thrasher and his colleagues. Medical professionalism is like pornography. You know it when you see it. And in the body of the commentary, the authors state that, quote, the definition of professionalism has plagued all member boards of the American Board of Medical Specialties. In another article by Drs. Joyner and Vamalakanda entitled Improving Professionalism, Making the Implicit More Explicit. They similarly state that professionalism is one of the most challenging of the ACGME competencies to define, teach, and evaluate. To put everything into context, Dr. Joyner's article was published in 2007 and Dr. Thrasher's was in 2020. So as you can see, professionalism is and always has been a critical issue in resident education. So what do we have to help us figure out professionalism? Well, we have the ACGME, the six domains of physician competency that we expect every resident to demonstrate and it includes professionalism. We also have the urology milestones that have been developed by the ACGME and this started in 2013. For residents who are not familiar with the milestones, I highly recommend that you review the milestones, which can be found on the ACGMEA website. These are designed for you and provide a framework for resident development and measures for physician competency. It also helps to provide a roadmap for what we expect for, from you during training. It helps make the implicit more explicit so you know what is required of you in order to meet performance requirements. You can look and see how we are assessing you and you can self-direct your own learning. For programs, it is helpful for us to understand how we can help residents if they are underperforming or it can help us identify who can focus on other aspects of their training. Here are some specific examples. So just wanted to point out that the levels do not correlate with PGY year. So for example, a PGY2 is in a level two, a PGY3 is not a level three. So some residents during their training time might not get to level five and that's okay. All graduating residents should at least reach a level four. And again, I encourage you to review these on your own. There are actually even more subsets of uh, the physician competencies, um, which again, I encourage you to uh, review and familiarize yourself with each component. Some other tools we have at our disposal for understanding professionalism is the ABU. The trustees of the American Board of Urology endorsed the physician charter. This was developed by the Medical Professionalism Project, 
which was authored by a joint group of inter internal medicine organizations. It outlines three fundamental principles, patient welfare, patient autonomy, and social justice. It also outlines 10 professional responsibilities. So as you can see, there's been a lot of effort and thought in, put into professionalism. The relationship within profession and society is undoubtedly complex. There's a recognition that there's a variety of societal forces that conflict with the physician's responsibility to their patients and the public. So what are some of these societal forces that create conflicts for physicians' responsibility to patients and public? Here are some examples. They're divided into four categories, personal, interpersonal, situational, and organizational. For all of us who work with residents, we're constantly reminded of the daily challenges our residents face. Examples are high workload, inefficient workflow, illness, and unequal power relationships. So I ask, I, asked, I ask you, have we built a system where our residents are able to succeed and advance to be the best urologist that they can be? Maybe. How about do we exist in a society where our residents are able to succeed and advance to be the best urologist that they can be? Or have we set them up for failure? Using our case study with vascular surgery, I wanted to go back to our Swiss cheese model. There were many layers that were put into place to prevent implicit bias in that peer-reviewed article. However, each of those layers failed. Let's discuss for a couple of minutes implicit bias. Yes, implicit bias affects everyone. Implicit bias can affect the way we perceive and evaluate residents. Years of exposure to media, culture, news, images, and education, it is subconscious and we're not aware of it. One simple exercise in understanding implicit bias is the peanut butter analogy. What do you associate with the most when you think of peanut butter? Most of you probably said jelly. Why do we all say that? Years of exposure to media, culture, news, images, education. Again, it is subconscious and we are not even aware of it. I'm sure that each of us can think of other examples of things that we have learned and have no idea how we learned it. Now let's bring it closer to home. Who do you think of when you think of a urologist? Take a second and close your eyes and think about it. Who do you see? Has a patient ever been surprised when you walk into the room? Why do you think that happened to you? Why do you think that happened to your co-resident? Why do you think that happened to your attending? Have you ever had to say, I'm the urologist, to a patient, to another physician, to another nurse? Why do you think that happened to you? Why do you think that happened to your co-resident?
Why do you think that happened to your attending? Yes, implicit bias affects everyone, even those in medicine and in healthcare, even to urologists, and we are among the best and brightest people in medicine. And we have evidence that healthcare professionals exhibit the same level of implicit bias as the population. This was a retrospective review of 42 peer-reviewed articles that demonstrated implicit bias in physicians and nurses. Implicit bias is measurable and exists in healthcare. In this 2019 cross-sectional study, the authors used the implicit association test, which is a validated tool that was given to healthcare professionals. Their data suggests that implicit bias, specifically gender bias, exists in healthcare professionals and surgeons. Implicit bias impacts surgical education. Our cardiothoracic colleagues from Stanford published a review in 2019 about unconscious bias or implicit bias and its impact on surgical education. Dr. Backhouse and her colleagues summarized that these biases are counterproductive in surgical education because they perpetuate or validate existing disparities, impact how we teach, what we teach, and ultimately how we evaluate residents. So how does implicit bias perpetuate or validate existing disparities? It affects the way residents view themselves. In a survey of general surgery residents, African-American and Asian-American residents are less likely to believe they fit in. Female residents were less likely to self-identify as surgeon. How does implicit bias affect how we teach and how we evaluate residents? In a study by Dr. Myerson and colleagues, they reviewed 596 evaluations of residents and of faculty on the residents' operative autonomy. They found that female residents were rated lower than males, and they found that the faculty rated female residents' autonomy as lower than male residents. What else are we implicitly teaching our residents and medical students? There was a retrospective observational study from our colleagues in internal medicine. They reviewed video archived introductions at Grand Rounds, and they found that males were more likely to use professional titles when introducing male speakers versus female speakers. This is called untitling and is a form of bias against women professionals and perpetuates gendered power and credibility imbalances. And how about implicit bias and how we evaluate residents? What words do we use to describe our residents? What words do we use to describe and evaluate our attendings? So words have the power to imprint in our collective consciousness who is important and who is not, who is credible and who is not, who is respected and who is not, who is valued and who is not. 
This study is from the Harvard Business Review and is an, an analysis of 81,000 performance evaluations from a military data set of 4,000 participants. Smith and colleagues found some clear differences. This was not in a learning environment like in a medical school or residency program. The context was in a professional work setting, but I chose to show you this study because it is such an impressively large data set and it demonstrates a clear difference between the words that are used to describe one group versus another group. Drs. Dosa and Baxter's 2019 JAMA invited commentary entitled Implicit Bias in Surgery, Hiding in Plain Sight provides us with a nice summary. There is a clear and consistent story of ongoing bias, which affects the career success of women. Because of implicit biases that we all carry at all levels, there is a discordance between what we expect from female surgeons and reality. This leads to poor evaluations, delayed promotion and progression in their career, which ultimately may lead to burnout and poor career satisfaction. So looking at our own specialty, the state of urology workforce and practice in the United States from 2019, female practicing urologists make up 9.9% of the workforce. To put everything in context, the female population of the United States is 50.52%. Where are the women? Just five years ago, the Association of American Medical Colleges was wondering the same thing. They deemed this multifactorial phenomenon the leaky pipeline. So although not the topic of my talk, we can certainly extrapolate the experience of one group in surgical training with another group, URM, which stands for underrepresented in medicine. Any group that you can think of that does not have a majority pre presence in medicine can be any group of people. Implicit bias can negatively impact the way we evaluate you our urology residents. The process of milestone assessment that we have put in place hopefully guards against it. As you can see, it is not just one person who evaluates you. Depending on your program, you may have a small or large clinical competence committee, the CCC, which is pictured here in green, who may do formal or informal periodic resident assessments. As depicted by this graphic, there's potentially a 360 degree assessment of you by staff, nurses, other residents, fellows, mentors, PDs, APDs, and supervisors. But going back to our Swiss cheese model, we rely on all of these people to be the layers of cheese to protect against implicit bias, much like we depended on the authors, members of the IRB, peer reviewers and editors to protect the vascular surgery trainees in the case that I presented at the beginning of my talk. So implicit bias exists in the evaluation of GU residents and can potentially affect their career progression and success. There can be a discordance in the stereotypical GU resident role. 
Examples of these are in race and gender. So the questions I pose to our chairpersons and PDs who were at our annual meeting are, who do we allow to graduate? Who do we promote in our specialty? What are the values and behaviors we want to see in our residents and colleagues? As we are promoting and pushing forward, we also must remind ourselves who we are also implicitly rejecting and leaving out of leadership positions, silencing, neglecting, and ignoring. How can we as academic teachers mitigate our own implicit biases against residents? Where do we go from here? We have to recognize the problem before we can start working on a solution. So I've painted a pretty evidence-based, realistic, and pessimistic outlook. Now we will propose some possible solutions. There are lots of resources available that you can draw from. Friends, family, co-residents, chiefs, PDs, and chairs to help you come up with solutions. For programs who have offices of graduate medical education, I'm sure that there are resources there for you as well. Some programs also have wellness and mentorship programs. Some suggestions on this slide like, quote, hire more staff, end quote, is beyond the responsibilities of a resident. But I wanted to inspire you to think about systemic and organizational changes that may improve the way you work. So going back to professionalism, the milestones were developed to help you, so please review them. So what other solutions do I have for you to mitigate implicit bias? So I know you're tired of the Swiss cheese model, but I think you have to agree with me, it's pretty good. So what is a good layer of Swiss cheese that can protect you? mentorship. Urology remains one of the most competitive subspecialties, and I think we all can agree and remember that each of us did not get to where we are without mentors. The people who taught us about urology, the people who helped us with applications or writing up research projects, and people who advocated for us. These relationships are vital to career progression and can actually help with implicit bias and professionalism. If you're having a bad day, and all of us have bad days, let's say, worst case scenario, you're having a bad rotation, an established mentorship relationship can help the Clinical Competence Committee understand what's going on in your life that may be affecting your performance. So we talked about implicit bias a lot. Well, as a speaker for this talk, I too am biased. I think mentorship is the answer for almost everything in residency. Is a resident scoring low on the in-service? Talk to your mentor. Is a resident having arguments with the emergency room? Talk to your mentor. Is a resident showing up late and unprepared for conference? Talk to your mentor. Are the resident's suturing skills or endoscopic skills not on par with their peers? talk to your mentor. If you want evidence, the literature is full of educators discussing the importance of mentorship for residents. Some key points. There are career and life benefits associated with mentorship. It benefits both 
mentors and mentees. Mentoring can be both coaching and educational roles, requires time and empathy and a willingness to share knowledge and skills and an enthusiasm for teaching and the success of others. Although I hope every mentorship experience is perfect, much like society and our medical system, it is imperfect. Some challenges to mentorship are unrealistic expectations and conflicts of interest. But let's focus on the potential benefits for the mentee. On this slide, um, both personal and professional uh, development um, benefits are pictured here. So what if you don't have a mentor? No mentor, no problem. You can start off with asking your attendings who would be good mentors. Um, you can ask your AP, APD, PD, chairperson. Um, your mentor doesn't have to be in your specialty or even in your institution. If you're interested in research projects, this is a really great way for you to work with an attending and figure out some shared interests. Although they're on hold now, as you know, academic conferences are a really great way to meet people and potential sponsors and mentors. If you're interested in advocacy, education, or other types of service further down in your career, it's always great to start getting to know people. You can actually have more than one mentor. And I know most of the time residents are busy with the day-to-day, -day. it's nice in your senior years to think about who will eventually become your references, uh, who do you ask for recommendations for fellowship applications, for example, and it's nice to think about who you're gonna ask to help with hospital privileging. So lots and lots of benefits. I think there were times in my residency where I felt like I was much more efficient if I took care of everything myself. But I realized quickly that if you help others and if you let other people help you, there's a greater benefit to you and your patients. Medicine and urology are no exception. It's a team sport. So try to involve as many people into your successes and you will find that it's the relationships and the camaraderie that will take you far in life. You urology residents are the future of our specialty. We are in an imperfect society and an imperfect medical system. We all must work towards something better for all of us, our families, and our future patients. Progress takes one step at a time. I hope everyone enjoyed my talk and please feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Learn more by visiting our website, urologycovid.ucsf.edu.